Hello and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown. Today is Wednesday, November the 2nd, and I want to wish everyone out there a very happy deviled egg day, because let's face it, that's pretty much the only reason that people still eat boiled eggs, is a little bit of mustard and some spices in the middle, and uh, if you're one of those people that eats the entire tray, you're my kind of people. I'm Tom Hollingsworth. I'm here uh, with another great lineup of news stories, and joining me for the first time is one of our friends from the community, Mr. Nathan Bennett. Nathan, welcome to the Rundown. Thanks, Tom. Thanks. Happy to be here and happy to be here with another deviled egg uh, aficionado. I love those things. They are delicious. Yes. Unfortunately, they're a little too good. So um, we are gonna, we're going to hold off on those for just a minute because we have some news that we want to cover on this National Ohio Day. Um, we're actually starting off with a story that's uh, kind of relevant to what's going on this week, and that would be our friends over at Commvault because they announced that they have their 10th quarter of growth in a row. Revenue was up 5.8% and profits rose by $4.5 million, which is not too shabby. Now, this comes amid the fact that the storage industry is seeing a little bit of a downturn, especially in the you know traditional drive and, and NAND flash markets. And uh, when interviewed, uh, Commvault CEO uh, Sanjay uh, Mirchandani said that he's attributing this to the fact that a lot of companies are wanting to protect the data that they already have. But also something that we've been hearing a lot from Commvault about is this idea around data protection being not just backup from storage failure, but also from uh, threats like ransomware. And I'm sure that that's actually something that we're going to be hearing about very shortly during Commvault Connections 22, which is their big user conference, which is going on today. Uh, Nathan, is Commvault still trying to find a way to make all of the storage market work for them? Or is the security aspect of what they're trying to do now really doing the heavy lifting on this profit news? Yeah, I think this news article speaks to myself in different different levels. First off, when I read Commvault is is doing well, my first instinct is uh, they're still around. That's 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 awesome. I didn't didn't know they were doing amazing things. And then I dig in and start seeing some of the other companies around Commvault, and I I, I kind of believe that that is that is where it is. A lot of the cybersecurity, a lot of the other areas, is doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Metallic IO is being the the biggest one, right? where Metallic is doing some really interesting stuff around, specifically around the uh, the cybersecurity, the, I think we, we learned a little bit about how they're able to do some sensor data honeypots around, you know, trying to track infiltrators and slow them down. Uh, we had a, a great example of that in uh, TechFail Day 25, I believe. And that, that really portrays the expanse of what Commvault is really doing. Metallic, I believe, added up to about 50% increase of, of their growth during that time. And that really adds to Commvault's number. It's worth mentioning as well, with all these things that that's going well for Commvault, their cash flow is actually increasing with this as well. So they're not doing well just on terms of the stock market. They're doing well as a company. They're, they're adding more value to it and increasing their ability to continue on. Uh, but that being said about the company side of things, uh, let's talk about VMware really quickly. VMware Cloud Foundation found itself with a major exploit this week that was quickly patched. The vulnerability came in the Xtreme open source library leveraged by the management appliances used by Cloud Foundations and NSX. The exploit code released was so bad that VMware took the extra step of patching all relevant versions of software, even if they are no longer officially supported. The remote code executed earned a 9.8 out of 10 on the severity scale. Tom, is this something that VMware should have known about? 
Well, it's funny that you say this because it's an open source plugin that goes inside the dashboard. And we've seen this a lot. Uh, just think of Heartbleed, which was an open SSL vulnerability, although I even hear there's an open SSL vulnerability on the horizon right now. Um, it's it, remote code exploit, very easy to exploit, uh, found by a researcher, and then you find out how much crap runs this. I mean, uh, what was the one, uh, the LogForge uh, thing that we had to deal with at the end of last year? We're still dealing with fallout from that. Uh, I'm glad that VMware patched this. Uh, 9.8 out of 10 is not just something you would expect to see on Star Search. It is, uh, it is absolutely something you want to deal with right away. And the fact that they patched down into uh, non-supported versions is equally important. Now, if you're running Cloud Foundry 4.x, this doesn't affect you. I'm sure they swapped out the library or something like that. But this speaks to the fact that these kinds of things are going to start cropping up more and more. And I hate to say it, and, and please don't roast me in the comments, but this is one of the challenges that you deal with when you rely on open source software. Yes, I can hear you typing right now, but give me a second. I love the idea of using open source. I love the idea of having the community come together to build things that people can leverage. What I worry about is that when we find an exploit in one of the libraries, how many other software applications are being affected by it? How many other companies will be able to patch software rapidly? And will they be willing to take this extra step like VMware did and patch down past their supported version listings? Because not everybody is going to be as magnanimous as our friends over in Palo Alto. And I worry that it's going to create the house of cards. Everyone's seen the little XKCD comic where it's this big stack of blocks and there's a tiny little one of some library a guy wrote on a weekend in 1993 and that's the linchpin that could cause the whole thing to come crashing down so let's just hope that it won't be a problem all right uh nathan we talk about intel a lot here on the rundown and the news the last few uh weeks has not been overly positive and and guess what it's it's not getting any better because their cost cutting measures are really ramping up there's a report this week that Intel is looking to cut around $10 billion a year by 2025. They just released their third quarter numbers. They did not look good for our favorite little chip maker because they lost 20% of the revenue for the quarter that just passed. Okay, everyone's having problems. Their profits were down 85%. That's not so good. And when you consider that the quarter before that one, they lost 22% of their revenue, that's not good. Now, everybody's going to jump up and say, hey, this is because the, the PC market is really taking a, a turn for the worse. People have bought all the PCs they're going to buy. They're good where they need to be. Um, Intel's rapidly trying to turn this ship. They, they need to focus on things like GPUs. We know that. However, there was a bright spot in this whole thing. You guys remember Mobileye? We've talked about them many times here on the rundown, and there's this rumor going around that they're going to be an IPO target uh, to bring some in revenue to Intel. <laughs> they had 40% growth last quarter. Turns out autonomous vehicles are kind of hot. Now, Nathan, you haven't been on the rundown before, so you haven't had a chance to kind of weigh in on some of these, uh, these Intel uh, stories that we've been talking about. Is Pat Gelsinger going to be able to keep costs under control long enough for Intel to make this turn that they need to make? Yeah, so I'll probably run over a couple of other things that many other people have brought up. But Pat Gelsinger has been, I mean, going back to his years at VMware, 
he's always been this visionary that likes to see where things can be done, but he's also a businessman and an engineer. So he kind of understands how the business is, is ran from the ground up to a certain degree. We have to remember that, that he came from Intel. He was a chip maker at one point. So he understands what it takes in order to develop these things. So when we're talking about Pat Gelsinger specifically as the, you know, the lead at Intel, he has the ability to, to cut these costs. And if there's anyone at Intel that has the ability to understand where these cuts need to be done, it's probably him. I, I like what we see with, with Mobileye, you know, autonomous vehicles, in my opinion, that that's not going away. It's actually growing and we're seeing multiple other automake, automakers try to create their version of, you know, some sort of self-driving solution, whether that's through, you know, uh, visual learning or LIDAR or whatever, you know, they're trying to figure out those different areas. And this is where something like, you know, Mobileye has the ability to add their version to it. I'm, I don't see how Intel can, you know, call, can say that they're in trouble. And I, I think anybody that says Intel is in trouble is a little, a little quick to judge, um, considering they are getting additional, you know, cash funds for the fabs that they're billing. You know, let's not forget about that. Let's not forget that, you know, the administration that is currently there is is absolutely loving Pat and Intel right now, and they're they're basically throwing money at them. Um, and when you get to the federal level, you know, it's monopoly money, you know, all of our taxes go to, I, I don't know where our tax money actually goes to, but the federal government is, is just throwing money around as if it's just paper. And, you know, that money is being thrown at Pat Gelsinger so that they have the ability to, you know, build fabs and, you know, build in other directions as well. And so that's, that's something that we got to keep in mind. So it's not just the area of, you know, where they're growing in as a chip manufacturer. The other thing that I would say is that it is. It, it, it's kind of the regular occurrence for a chip manufacturer to see, to say, Hey, you know, no one's buying PCs right now. AMD's doing it. NVIDIA's in a, in a way doing it. But at the same time, you know, how many times do we have to hear this before we just kind of look back at the chip manufacturer or where the ships are coming from or different areas and start saying, you know, maybe it's because of, you know, the secure supply chain that we've been running into the fact that people have been running into the these barriers of purchasing the solutions or the excuse me the uh, components that they need for their PCs beforehand and now they're basically got what they needed and they're building things and the fact that we had a backlog of getting those components mean that now that they have the components they don't want to buy another component because the majority of people were thinking oh no there's a backlog i've got to get what i need and i got to put my orders in and now that they have it there's going to be a low year where you know that that's not there so it's kind of an understandable area but it's not a it shouldn't just be an excuse because at the end of the day these chips are in more than just pcs right uh, they're they're being put in other areas and and these these makers make them in other areas. I mean, you can point it into other areas such as uh, where where the administration is is looking at not allowing you know people like Intel to sell to other countries or you know specific countries in in that area. Maybe that has something to do with it. There's a lot of different factors. Is my point. And at the end of the day, to just put your finger on the PC market and say, no, this is the problem. We need to figure out how to, how to get people to buy more PCs. I'm, I'm not buying it. I, I, I don't see that as kind of like the problem. So per se, there's a lot of other things around that. The U S government seems to be headed toward a wide scale ban on chips from China. 
the current sanctions against manufacturing tools as well as the requirements that any person traveling to China for chip making purposes needs to register are creating challenges for companies. One of those is Kyosha. A Lorenzo Flores, vice chair of Kyosha, is warning that the Chinese government may decide to increase domestic investment in technology such as NAND to alleviate the sanctions and reduce demand for chips from U.S. sources. This news coupled with the overall downturn in the flash storage market has manufacturers concerned. Tom, could China decide to build their own tech industry to avoid U.S. sanctions? Well, hold on. I think there's someone at the door. Oh, yes, it's the consequences of my actions coming home to roost. No, this is exactly what we've been worried about for a number of years. As we all know, since 2016-ish, uh, there's been this um, simmering little problem with the Chinese. Um, we we want to take back some of the control of the tech sector from them. We don't want to have as many people doing manufacturing over there. Uh, we're trying to create um, incentives to get people to come back. And when there are problems, we are creating disincentives like sanctions. And ultimately, what it's going to lead to is something that we've seen, which is a, a pattern of behavior with uh, Chinese tech companies, which is they will partner with Western companies. They will uh, develop industries. And then after the expiration of the contract, they kind of go their separate ways. And then suddenly you see a suspiciously similar uh, technology that happens in China. By the way, as everyone knows, just to be uh, completely clear, uh, in order for you to do business with a in China, you must do business with a subsidiary of the company that is 51% Chinese owned. So for example, Intel, AMD, NVIDIA, all of those companies must do business with a Chinese company that is 51% ownership of that venture, for lack of a better term. Having said that, uh, Kiyosh is absolutely right. So far, we've kind of had this um, uh, frenemies type of relationship with each other where uh, we know that they're going to develop these technologies. They're going to sell them. It's a huge market. The, the opportunity cost for not selling over there is too big to ignore. However, with um, external pressures coming from government agencies, specifically the current administration of the U.S. government wanting to put these sanctions in place, it's creating artificial constraints in the system that are not the idea is is that they want to bring the companies to the negotiating table to say hey we need these kinds of restrictions in place we need these assurances that we're not going to have intellectual property theft there's a laundry list of problems the ultimate issue is is that what happens uh, to you know to quote Alexander what happens when we cut the Gordian knot instead of saying the sanctions are working what if we just say well you know what we're going to develop our own NAND flash storage industry using technology that we've already built on. So now it's not a question of the sanctions are hurting enough to bring you to the table. It's we don't care anymore and we'll just keep building our stuff. And you know what? It's 85% as efficient as the one that we could buy from you, but that's good enough because we're not ready to, to deal with all the other hassle. And so that is going to be a huge opportunity cost for U.S. Uh, or sorry, not U.S., but Western companies that are uh, trying to abide by these sanctions because now <laughs> China doesn't care anymore. So they've built all of this. They're creating this kind of um, industry where they're effectively self-sustaining. And if you want to go all the way back in history, pre-Admiral Perry, when Japan was effectively closed off from the rest of the world and they were perfectly happy to do what they did, what happens if China decides to do that? I mean, you can't throw a rock today without hearing about how there's a lot of economic issues that are going on. 
And if the solution to those issues is to kind of develop their own tech industry and, and ramp it up and create this massive growth through that, uh, that's going to leave a lot of people on the outside looking in. And I don't know that that's a solvable problem if it gets enough of a head of steam. So I think what's important here is that the government, especially, um, you know, the, the regulators and the people introducing these sanctions need to listen to companies like Kyosha and others who can see the perspective of both sides. All right, Nathan, um, it's time for our favorite section here, a closer look. We had a story that we wanted to take a deeper dive in, and oh boy, is this a fun one. So we focus a lot on enterprise tech here at The Rundown, almost primarily enterprise tech, but there was one story that was so important to the wider community in general that we felt like we had to cover it. And if you're thinking we're going to talk about Twitter, you're absolutely right. So the acquisition of Twitter closed on Thursday after the market was, you know, uh, closed for the day. Um, Elon Musk, the new owner of Twitter, did not waste any time. He brought in the kitchen sink and threw out the CEO, CFO, and the chief legal counsel. This week, he dismissed the entire board of directors because guess what? He owns it now. So he is the sole director of the company. He then, over the weekend, imported a whole bunch of engineers from Tesla and SpaceX to come in and start understanding how Twitter's algorithm works and start interviewing a whole bunch of their developers to figure out what's going on. Doesn't sound like a bad idea, right? Mm, yeah. Uh, Twitter and SpaceX use completely different code bases, like radically different code bases. So they've been burning lots of midnight oil trying to figure out what's going on. And that's even coming amidst rumors that they're starting to require 80 hour work weeks and lots of stand up meetings and lots of what the heck is going on here. So that is going to lead to a lot of layoffs. We've already seen a lot of people who are leaving, but a lot of people are saying 80 hour work weeks. No, thanks. I'm out. Then we top it all off over the fact that a lot of the policy decisions that are being made at Twitter seem to be happening on Twitter because uh, the grand plan to monetize the system to make it profitable seems to be that we're going to start charging more for Twitter Blue, which is that premium service that a lot of people have been trying to justify using. Well, the initial report was is that everyone's favorite Lex Luthor ripoff wanted to charge $20 a month, but you would be verified if you had Twitter Blue. Well, then everything went crazy because a whole bunch of people started going, you know, I, I hate this. This is the dumbest idea ever. And some of them were celebrities, including everybody's favorite clown author, Stephen King. You know him, the creepy guy. He publicly said, I'm out. I'm not paying for this. And Elon Musk was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What if I only charged you $8 a month? And then a few hours later said, hate on it all you want, but $8 is the, the price that we're not budging from. And that's almost double what it costs for Twitter Blue now. Oh, and remember the edit button? Yeah, we might end up getting that for free anyway. So, oh, Lord, who knows? Anyway, this is a massive pile of craziness, Nathan. And I know we wanted to talk a little bit about it. We haven't even made it a week and already it's like there are so many crazy things going on here and a lot of people are just throwing their hands up in the air and saying, I'm done. Um, where do we start? Well, I, I think we need to start with Elon Musk doing what Elon Musk does. Anybody that thinks that Elon Musk took the the company and everything was just going to be this, you know, business as usual was definitely not paying attention to anything, any other business that he's ever run. He you know, it's, it's funny we mention him as as our our friendly little Lex Luthor because we, we kind of like the things that he does. 
but I don't know a lot of people that that work at the companies that he created that really like absolutely loves it to a certain degree. There are some, don't get me wrong, but at the end of the day, he runs a business as if it is a business. He's not going to hop into, I don't know, let's let's talk about VMware real quickly because people are kind of looking at Twitter and then thinking the same thing's going to happen with, you know, the Broadcom acquisition. Not to not to mix stories here. But the the theme here is the there is a leadership change and the leader that is being in place understands business more than he understands people or the people that work for him. His main goal is to make money and he's going to take that business and try to make it as profitable as possible. I, I, I think the problem here with a lot of what Elon is doing is he's trying to fit a business model that is not Twitter's business model. Um, in, in, that, in that Twitter exchange between himself and uh, Stephen, Stephen King, our favorite clown author, he mentioned specifically ads and says that Twitter's revenue cannot rely solely on ads. And I thought that was an interesting take because he's literally trying to change where Twitter makes their money, which is to remove, you know, ads from it. That's, that's almost like going to Google and saying, you know what? We don't need to make money from ads. If you want to Google something, Google it for five bucks. Every time you Google, I, I would say that the entire world, I guess I was going to say that, you know, Western world, but I think the whole world at this point would probably say that that's probably a bad idea because we now understand the importance of you know, quote unquote, Googling something. And I, I liken it to to that area as well, because Twitter has become, you know, effectually that that area, that that free speech kind of platform that allows us to kind of say things. And wh whether you like it or not, there is a lot of censorship in Twitter, which probably is what sparked a lot of these things that Elon is doing, because I've seen a lot of, you know, stuff from the censorship team saying that, you know, they've been let go for one reason or another, and whether that's true, that's not true, because I don't get my news from Twitter uh, normally. That's kind of where we start thinking about, you know, what is he actually trying to do? And that's where we get into just just more insanity. I don't see this this story getting any better with the coming weeks because Elon's going to continue to he's going to continue to do what he's always done, which is turn a business into a model that he wants to have. What do you think about that, Tom? <laughs> oh man uh you, you know i'm a huge fan of larry ellison on the show he's my favorite punching bag elon musk is is quickly getting to that point and the irony is that they're both really good friends so go figure um here's my problem with it uh one this is a classic case of an mba or a guy who thinks he knows better coming into an established business and saying i can fix all of your problems with my magic little wand and failing so here's the problem he thinks that the issue with Twitter <clears throat> is that people need to pay to use it. Just like people pay to use Facebook, just like people pay to use TikTok, just like, oh, wait, no, nobody use, pays to do that. Um, he thinks that the way to engage people is to take the money that he's making and use it to pay content creators. That's not going to work either. Um, last I checked, very few people actually pay you to create content for them. Uh, YouTube is a special little animal. Um, and even then, the majority of people who get paid on YouTube don't get paid by YouTube. They get paid by advertisers. So where's the issue? The issue is, is that this isn't going to work. The people that consume the content are going to leave, especially if the content becomes, um, you know, curated. Okay, yeah, guess what? You don't want everything to be censored. I get that. 
there are rules, there are things that you have to do in order to exist in a polite society, but the more curated the content gets, the less likely people are to stick around. Just go check out your Facebook timeline. That in and of itself should be a big warning sign for, you know, discount Tony Stark over here. The problem is that he can't make money unless he does that. Mark Zuckerberg, discount Iron Man's suit, um, knows this. That's why you can't change the timeline on Facebook or Instagram to be sequential. It has to be algorithmic because when you stick ads in a sequential timeline, it looks awfully weird. And so that is an ultimate example of how you screw up your system to make money, to please the people who are paying you. Twitter has not really been that. Twitter is what we want it to be. And if it stops being what we want it to be, we're going to stop using it. There was a story. Um, you probably have never heard of Mastodon. It is an open source community building project that looks and smells an awful lot like Twitter. I jumped on it five years ago. The last time everybody was claiming that Twitter was going to go off the rails. It got 70,000 new users yesterday because of all this crap. It overloaded some of their most popular servers. I mean, Jack Dorsey even went and launched his own new social media company the day the acquisition closed. Everybody's seeing what's going to happen. The problem is, just like Facebook and just like Twitter, the value of the community is not the platform, but it's the platform where the people are. If nobody's there anymore, nobody's going to use it. Look at all of the things that have cropped up over the last few years. You know, uh, another good example, honestly, is Tumblr. Tumblr made design decisions many years ago that drove a lot of their user base away. And everyone was like, well, we're going to make another one that's better, that has all the stuff we want. And none of them took off. Why? Because everybody was still there. And ironically enough, they made another policy decision this week that everyone's like, oh my God, you're going back on something you said you couldn't do. Well, it's because they see that a lot of this is going to start ramping up. And this is just the first shot across the bow, if you will, of what's he going to do next? And just quickly aside, I hate the fact that this man is actively designing his platform on Twitter. Dude, chill out. I, I feel like stop feel, posting everything as a poll for people. <laughs> I feel like he's done that. He's posted stuff about, uh, you know, SpaceX on Twitter. He's posted stuff about like almost every company that he's done. He like throws this like random thing out there on Twitter. And, you know, people wanted to take him to court about the whole Dogecoin debacle where he was like, hey, Tesla's going to start accepting Dogecoin and Dogecoin like shh, just skyrocketed in value. And then, you know, Elon sold all of his Dogecoin and was like, ah, oh, you know what, we we figured out when we, we shouldn't use that. Like I, I've seen that like that type of of thinking and 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 ways of him doing those things because at the end of the day, he likes to make money. And that's kind of like the hilarious thing about, about Elon that I always think about is just like, the guy just wants to make money. He just doesn't understand, or maybe he doesn't like the idea of making money for through ads or making money through a different revenue stream other than direct, right? And let's talk real quickly about censorship, because if you want to talk about a place where you want to go to and then immediately get banned for no reason, and they don't even give you a reason when you do get banned, it's probably PayPal. 
And if we want to talk about, you know, that's how that was one of his, you know, companies when he started it, you know, he was like, Hey, I need to find a better way of allowing people to pay each other and pay, you know, corporations, whatever, however you want to view what PayPal does. My, I have like, my account for PayPal has been banned. I don't know how long at this point. And I've still yet to receive any reason why it was banned. Some people can come to me and say, oh no, they have to give you a reason. They send you an email that says, this is the reason why we ban you. I was like, yeah, it is the most generic email about it. I mean, like, I don't know how many people read all the terms and services on PayPal, but when you get banned, it says you violated terms and services. Fantastic. Can you be more specific? Because then maybe I can help other people not do that. At the end of the day, that I, I kind of see like Twitter eventually possibly going that route. Now, I don't like putting on, you know, my hat and looking into a crystal ball, right? I kind of still see Twitter as a free space. I'm not going to pay for Twitter blue. I never, I don't, I don't pay for Twitter blue right now. So jack the price up however you want. I don't care. I'll only care about that price if you make it to the point where I have to pay for it just to use Twitter. Now, do I see Elon going that far? I don't know. Tom, what, what, what do you think about that? So the problem, ultimately, you're right. Elon doesn't want to have to rely on advertisers. He wants the revenue stream to come in directly to Twitter. And the reason why is because when you are beholden to somebody else for your revenue, that means they own you. Look at, and, and I'm going to say it, but there is a very popular adult site out there that ran afoul of credit card companies, Visa and MasterCard. And they said, well, you can no longer use Visa and MasterCard to pay for content on this site. And it basically cratered them because the people with the power are the people who finance things. So for example, we know that a lot of the funding from this came from a lot of people and there are reports that it came from people who are outside the U.S. If those people who, I guess, put in 8 to $10 billion suddenly come to Elon and go, hey, we want you to do this. And he goes, well, I don't think that's a good idea. And they're like, <clears throat> we want you to do this or we want you to pay us back right now. That gives them a lot of power. And so he wants the money to come to Twitter so that he doesn't have to fight that because all it takes is a couple of advertisers, a couple of major advertisers, a couple of payment processors to go, you know what? This place has become a cesspool and we don't want to deal with it anymore. You can no longer use MasterCard to process Twitter blue payments. And now you have a massive problem on your hands and you can't do anything about it. It's part of the reason why he's so frustrated with Twitter, not because he can't tweet what he wants. But because when he tweets what he wants about taking Tesla private and it spikes his stock and screws the short sellers and the SEC now gets involved because it turns out that Tesla is a publicly traded company and you can't do that. It's an issue, but he doesn't care now because Twitter's private. It's not public. He can say whatever he wants about it. He can say shutting it down tomorrow and the SEC can't do anything about it. So ultimately, I think the issue is, is that Elon, <laughs> Elon wants to be rich and he wants to be in control of everything. So yeah, he basically is like Sleuther with hair. <laughs> yeah, bringing it down to just brass tacks of who's in control and, and who has power. Like we've seen Elon everywhere that he's run businesses, be the guy that wants to be the guy uh, to borrow the colloquialism from Multiverse of Madness, the, the hand on the knife. He has to be the guy holding the knife. He has to be the guy 
you know, making those decisions or giving some direction or some, some hedgeway, you know, there's, there's a reason why we like him in some ways and we don't like him in other ways. Right. He's that diabolical guy that's going to get us to Mars on one week. And then he's the diabolical guy that's going to destroy all of uh, Western civilization as we know it, because we can't tweet to each other one way or the other. I, I don't really see it one way or one way or the other in that, in that light, because at the end of the day, we look at what what this is happening. What is the blast radius in this area, right? So, you know, we see Beta being stood up by Twitter's ex CEO, right? We see uh, Mastodon being uh, uh, a bunch of users moving into that area. There are there are going to be other, you know, social media platforms that we go to to continue this conversation. And I think the if there's anything, it's just like the ah oh, shucks of having to bring a following to that area that we built. Uh, on Twitter. And I, I feel that too, to a certain degree, but you know, if there's any, anything to this message that I, I really like to bring to listeners, it's just like this, this realization of number one, you, you work for a business and you should never lose sight of that, right? You have a job and that job is not secure. You know, things happen, things change and people can, can affect that change. At the end of the day, if you want to go to them and say, you know, this was the way that we did things and somebody doesn't like that, they may all suddenly relieve you of your position. And that's something that I think a lot of people nowadays need to be mindful of, especially with the different, you know, ecosystems that we're seeing being uh, involved in these types of changes. And on top of that, you know, the publicly traded information, public uh, discussions that are happening on Twitter, we're, we're seeing all sorts of crazy things happening. So the story has so many different areas and levels that, you know, we, we just, you can't help but but talk about it. Well, Nathan, honestly, I think that this is an ongoing story and it's going to have a lot of developments probably by the next episode of the rundown, who knows? But um, the good news is, is that the rundown will be back uh, next week, but we have some exciting things that are going on that we definitely want to tell you about. The first one that we've already mentioned is of course, Commvault Connections 22, which is going on right now. Um, if you want to check out the uh, live blog, um, if we uh, have some coverage of the keynotes and the panels and everything, uh, head over to gestaltit.com. Just look for the Commvault Connections uh, live blog uh, there. Also going on this week is Storage Field Day uh, 24. Stephen Foskett, uh, who's not here right now, but is actually out in California with a bunch of great storage companies, will be uh, bringing you great things today through Friday. Um, make sure you watch those at techfieldday.com. And if you want to see me at Tech Field Day, the next time you'll have that opportunity is in two weeks for Security Field Day, where we'll have a great lineup of security-focused presenters and a lot of cool stuff going on. So we definitely want you to tune in for that. Now, Nathan, I hear that you and Steven have something exciting going on as well. Yeah, we've started doing this podcast that uh, I, I sometimes co-host and sometimes we bring in a different co-host, but uh, utilizing CXL, focusing on CXL and that uh, that bus, that modularity that that looks like it's coming to the enterprise market. Uh, it's definitely an interesting, different, uh, interesting solution and something that uh, I, I would suggest everybody pays attention to, to a certain degree. There's so many different uh, companies that are looking into it. So if you're interested, you can listen to Utilizing CXL on the podcast app of your choice. I also, if you want to find me, I'm on, yeah, unfortunately, I am on Twitter at uh, vnathanbennett, and I also blog at nerdynate.life. We will be back next Wednesday with uh, more great news from uh, the IT community. Um, 
usually around 12.30 Eastern time. If you want to uh, follow along with us, uh, you can check us out on the website at gestaltit.com, also on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash gestaltitvideo. Uh, the website is a great place to see the show notes and the links and everything that we uh, use for our stories. But also, if you want to listen to us as podcast, uh, maybe when you're out running, mowing the yard, um, what have you, uh, you know, use your favorite podcast application of choice. We're, uh, out there and, uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can also tweet at Gestalt IT, use the hashtag rundown, um, give us your feedback, tell us about some cool stuff that you'd like to see. Um, but for now we're going to go ahead and sign off. We appreciate you guys tuning in. We hope that you have an amazing day and we will see you next week.